Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday eve uh, yes indeed it is the eve of friday it has been a week in which mississippians went to the polls to select their candidate of choice in the primary elections. And I think they all but about been figured already. We got at least one runoff I'm aware of, Rhino, up in uh, the northern part of the state, Representative Nick Bain. His race. Yeah, I want to say there were four or five runoffs in the, the House and Senate. Okay. Uh, I know about that one. Mr. Bain, of course, Representative Bain, uh, an incumbent from the Corinth area, and there were three in his race, and he will move on to a runoff, which is, when is that, August 23rd? Is that the date? That sounds right. Yeah. We'll get that for you to make sure. 22nd, maybe? That's a Tuesday. I think that might be it. Is that right? Oh, 29th. 29th is what I'm seeing. 29th. People help me out here. I got the right date. want to make sure our folks know. My computer will wake up. Okay. Yeah, 29th. 29th. That's right. That's when it would be. I think it is. Uh, I'm not sure if this is in statute or not. Isn't it always three weeks after? Seems like. Giving the candidates sufficient time to go back to the voters and plead their case. So that's where we are. Other than that... The most contentious race, arguably, in the Republican primary, that for lieutenant governor, that one's been called. We thought we might see a runoff, but did not happen. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman prevailed. Consistent with what we thought, I I said uh, Monday, about 52%. I believe that's about where he landed. Miss Longino. Finished much stronger than I predicted. My apologies. Uh, And I predicted that she would uh, secure less of the vote than she actually did simply because of uh, the lack of funding and a campaign apparatus, name ID, etc., first-time candidate, all that. 
But I think like Henry Barber said on the program yesterday, and I've talked to lots of people since then, Rhino, I don't know if you have, all said, I think people just got disgusted with the mudslinging from the two high-profile candidates and basically said, I don't want any of them. Think some of that was in play? I really do. It can't oh, be yeah. because, again, no disrespect to Miss Longino, but it, it certainly couldn't be because, wow, I saw your ads, right? I I found out about you. I saw you uh, and met you. Not that she wasn't campaigning, but she didn't have the apparatus the way these folks did. She didn't have any money to do that. So I think it was people that voted for her, honestly just because they didn't want to vote for the other two. But, I mean, I'm sure out of the nearly 20,000 votes she received, at least a portion of that was people that bought into her platform. Yeah, I, that's possibly true. I would argue when she was on the program that her platform was leaned a little bit, bit more towards the Democrat agenda. Remember that? Uh, I wouldn't say it was Joe Biden, who, by the way, in the last week was in... New Mexico, and once again, he's uh, he made the commitment to end the consumption of fossil fuels in the United States. Wants 70% of the vehicles in this country to be electronic, <laughs> electric, in 10 years. That's not doable. That is foolish. It ain't smart. We had a couple of texts yesterday that... I wanted to share. I thought they were notable, and I apologize for not getting to them yesterday. It was a whirlwind day, of course. The last two have been. This was from Herschel in Laurel, I believe. Yeah, that's what it. Uh, I believe that's what it says here on our text. If I got that wrong, Herschel, and you're listening, let me know, or you may not want us to know. That's fine. Initially, it says Herschel, I had my mind made up in the lieutenant governor's race. But at the voting booth, I changed my choice. It was not based on the mailings or the commercials by the two candidates, but by the individuals who worked with both uh, in the Senate that Super Talk Radio interviewed over the course of the campaign. I think they're referring to interviews we had with um, Senator Sparks, Senator England, Senator uh, Harkins, Josh Harkins, uh, all three of whom announced their support for the lieutenant governor, and all three of whom, I think, were vocal about why. The senators who worked side-by-side, side, Herschel goes on to say, the two candidates provided me with what I thought was more credible information than either of the two candidates. Wow. So, that's a, that was an interesting text. Also got to get to this one from our regular... Listener, and that's Larry and Mize. Now, Larry had informed us that he supported Dr. John Witcher for governor and also supported uh, Chris McDaniel for lieutenant governor and, and felt fairly confident that both would prevail, honestly. He's been a good sport about it, though. He sent me a message and said, well, I'm eating my crow. And th that was a 24 hours after he said, are you ready to eat your crow tomorrow? <laughs> And that was just based on prediction, right? So he said, I, fully I will fully support all Republican candidates in the general election. Infighting is why we have primaries. I thought that was really 
a, a good point. Um, I, I mean, it, you'd prefer a primary without infighting. Yeah, just a debate on the issues and the differences in the candidates. But I, I take what Larry is uh, saying here. I, I, I applaud him, and I respect him for saying, okay, that's over. Now let's get behind the Republican candidate because we got work to do uh, as we face Democrats in the general. I, I completely agree, and I appreciate that, Larry. And I, I think that is the right approach, the right response. And if you look across the state, you know, I, I haven't seen a great deal of what I would characterize as sour grapes, honestly. I thought the letter that Chris McDaniel, the statement he issued, was, uh, was the right tone and message. I applaud him for that. Um, also, there were a number of candidates that ran for state office, House and in Senate that uh, were, of course, shall we say, on the, I, I almost can call it the McDaniel wing of the party, honestly, given that he has been, you're hesitant about that, and that's fine, but the, the way he has, I think, effectively mounted challenges to entrenched incumbents, what a lot of people in our state would call the so-called establishment. And I think a lot of those people also in my view, erroneously believe that Haley Barber, quote, controls the party, the government, the establishment wing. So you could almost characterize it as the establishment wing and the McDaniel wing, for lack of a better way to, to define it at this point. The, the point I would make to that is if Haley Barber really had any intention of continuing a career in politics after his governorship, he wouldn't have pardoned all those people because he was on track to be a dark horse presidential candidate. Correct. And it uh, it's pretty much, it's not an open secret, but there's a, a fair understanding that that pardon, pardon-a-rama he had was a way of saying, no, 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 I'm done. This is me walking off into the sunset. I think that's right. I absolutely believe that. Now, is is he a powerful figure in his lobbying firm? Absolutely, they are. But uh, I know the former governor pretty well. I I certainly know uh, his son uh, very well because they hang around out at Annandale a lot, where I play golf. The governor has a uh, cabin out there when he's around town. But what I was going to say is most of their work involves lobbying in Washington. And there was no secret. That's what he intended to do. Uh, I mean, that's what he, he did before he ran for governor. That's right. So I, I, I differ with those who believe he's just back there as a puppeteer pulling strings in the state government. I, I don't think that's happening. I'm confident that's not happening whatsoever uh, in the state. But it's just like a convenient target. You know what I mean? Let's, let's make that the boogeyman. So, But I was pleased to see most people... Have said, yeah, we got to resp- uh, support the, the Republican candidates, but there were a number that ran for House and Senate. I'll talk about that on the other side of the break. We're in the Element Wealth Studio. We got Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, at eleven oh five. Spence, Spence, flat guard at twelve oh five. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. 
We are back in the Element Well studio. Once again, Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth. We got him coming in at 11.05, and it is a, a very timely day for his appearance on the show as we got fresh inflation data. The markets, the Dow, presently up 205 points off the high. I think I saw it get up to about 340 earlier. The NASDAQ up as well. And this is just after a, a rather brutal sell-off yesterday. And that's because of the Moody's credit rating and just some other disturbing news, economically speaking, that the markets consume and react to uh, concerning inflation, what they thought was going to be inflation, a worse inflation report, I should say, than we received. And there's still concern about jobs and just the stability there, not that we're poised for massive job loss. If anything, it's just the opposite. We're still seeing a, a tight labor market despite the Fed's hiking rates 11 times now. They're going to be meeting out in Jackson Hole, as they do every year, the Fed governors to plot strategy. That's coming up, I believe, next week, and the market will be tuned into that, see what they emerge with in terms of guidance on the future. Kind of makes you wonder if they would make better decisions if they didn't meet somewhere where they could just, I don't know, go skiing. <laughs> Jackson Hole. <laughs> it is beautiful up there, no doubt. You ever check the population out in Wyoming? It's oh, like, it's tiny. I think it has one house seat, if I'm not mistaken. It's uh, 600,000, I believe, for a fairly large state. Very rugged terrain. What do you see there? I think it's one house seat, 600,000, because I think a house seat's, what, 720 or something? A district? Yeah, they have an at-large congressional district. There you go. For which the, is the sole congressional district for the U.S. state of Wyoming. For the entire state. So that means it has less than 700-plus thousand, because that's... The, 578,000 people. Okay. I said 600. And the only reason I have a little knowledge of it is because uh, I bought a company. We, we had a location in Casper. Casper, Wyoming. And you know who our biggest customer in the state of Wyoming was? The University of Wyoming. The Cowboys. And... Wyoming, many may not realize, is blessed with abundant natural resources in the form of oil. And the, uh, the economic status of Wyoming is, is quite good. And thus the university had lots of uh, financial resources and ensured that their IT environment was top-notch. We were pleased to serve them in that regard. There's lots of oil and gas. There's no, like, large, super large cities. You pretty much got Casper, Jackson Hole, uh, or maybe the top, if I'm not mistaken. And it's an hour and a half, two hours through the mountains from Denver. It's beautiful, though. Good grief, it's beautiful out there. Well, back here in Mississippi, we were talking about some of the races for State House and Senate, and and the reason I sort of refer to the McDaniel wing, and that's just the way I'm characterizing it today, is because there were some candidates that were staunch supporters of the senator for lieutenant governor that had never run for office before. 
and they threw their hat in the ring, I think, Rhino, the expectation was that the senator would uh, be elected and they would serve in the state house alongside him. Very similar views. That's that's fine. I mean, that's really not a bad strategy. But I I didn't see that any of them actually won. When I looked down the list of the the candidates that were, I guess, most visible in that respect, did we ever figure out the DeSoto County race, Kimberly Remack? And there was three, I believe, in the race. And you know what? We looked at it yesterday. It had not been called. She was sitting right at 50%, right? I don't think there's been an update on that. No, and that tells me even more so that it's the the delta between the candidates is smaller than the number of absentee ballots they receive. So they're having to go through those and count those. Right. Uh, So we'll see where that one lands. Um, That's House District 7 in DeSoto County. She was the past chair of the DeSoto County Republican Executive Committee. I think she was also, at one point, the chair of the Mississippi Federation of Republican Women. We had her on the show before, you may remember. And uh, she faced two opponents, as I recall, right, in that race. One of them is uh, James Goodkind, comes to mind. Can't, can't recall the name of the other. No disrespect there. Just trying to keep all these names straight, all these races. But the last I saw, that one had not been called yet. So I think you're right. That means it's so razor-thin close, they're going to have to do some counting of the ballots, the, the lagging ballots, particularly the absentee ballots, and get those properly accounted for and tabulated. And then... Uh, Don Hartness down in Jones County, uh, a longtime McDaniel supporter, faced Robin Robinson, who switched from the House, serving in the House, and mounted a campaign for Senate, and um, and faced Don Hartness, a friend, by the way. I know Don is a good guy. Formerly from Rankin County, moved to Jones County a few years ago. And Miss Robinson prevailed in that one. So she'll flip from the House to the Senate. Just another one. Lauren Smith up in the Tupelo area mounted a challenge to sitting State Senator Chad McMahon, also been on the program many times. Lauren campaigned quite a bit on uh, Senator McDaniel's campaign sites, getting her message out there. Very consistent with the Senators, but Mr. McMahon pulled that one out, right, uh, Rhino? He ended up winning that race. He'll go back to the state Senate. He's always good for entertainment whenever he's on the program, especially with Mr. Gallo. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. So that's where we are. Um, it's uh, It's been fascinating to watch it, and again, I, I'm pleased to see most people have said they will, in fact, support the Republican candidates. I haven't seen a whole lot of sour grape sort of stuff. No, I just can't vote for that person because they defeated my candidate. I mean, there's been a smattering on social media and even one or two on the text line, but, yeah, it's been a minority. Yeah, I think so. Now, I think it is fair to say, given the outcome of the race for lieutenant governor, see what you guys think, that – the lieutenant governor capturing 52% of the vote 
and Chris McDaniel, 43 and change. It was 8 and change delta is where it stands right now, 8% change delta. Point is, I wouldn't exactly call that a so-called mandate. And I do think there are some let's, – let's move on to policy. There, there are some policy distinctions that are notable, and this, this could kind of shape the complexion of the next four years with the lieutenant governor, for sure. And I will say this, just personal experience. I attended Governor Tate Reeves' event. It was called relatively early, certainly compared to the lieutenant governor's race. It was called early, and, and the governor came out and delivered uh, remarks, as they always do, which I thought were spot on, honestly. Uh, I was pleased to hear. And I'll tell you why. Because Rhino, he focused on economic growth. That was the main message. He, he gets it. And I was just pleased to hear that, because economic growth, capitalism, wealth creation, that is the path to address all of our most pressing issues. It always has been. It's why this company's so, country's so great. And you know the only thing that could screw it up? The government. That's just the truth. And he gets that. He gets the role of government. I'm not trying to be an ad, as some may think, for the governor now. I'm just telling you the truth. He, he aligns with my, my vision there, my position. But he, he did discuss his desire to pursue elimination of the income tax. It's no secret that's been a top priority for the governor since he ran in the last cycle. I attended after that was called, and uh, by the way, it was open bar there. Now, you know I don't drink, but it was open bar and, and a great food spread at the old Capitol Inn. Open bar, o- dude. Open bar. Give me six schlitzes. <laughs> I left that event. My daughter joined me. She was out in the field, of course, poll watching. She came by to visit. And we went to the lieutenant governor's event, also in Jackson, at the River Hills Club. And I'll discuss a little bit, touch a little bit on his talking points in his speech. You'll find the contrast a bit interesting. We're coming right back. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on! On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Wealth Studio. You are tuned in to Middays. And don't forget, Jeremy Nelson, partner with Element Wealth, will be in the studio on a day in which we receive news about the inflation situation. CPI report today. The Fed pays attention to that one, but they really like the PCE report is the one that they consider most in their monetary policy decision-making. That would be the personal consumption expenses. So, it, it uh, by the way, it came in kind of a mixed report, honestly. And, and what I mean by that is we had the consumer price index up 3.2% year over year in July, for July. And why that's... Uh, 
not terrible, it is a slight uptick from the June 23 versus June 22 figure of 3%. But, on the other hand, so-called core price index, that includes the volatile price of food and energy. Energy and food not included in the core CPI. That rose by 4.7% versus a year earlier. That's down slightly from June's increase of 4.8%. So that's, you would say, okay, that's trending in the right direction. I looked at it, Rhino, probably not a surprise. You know the major factor, the category that is really uh, sort of boosting inflation? Because it's still up. I mean, 47 is still better than 4.8, but it's still 4.7 versus last year. You have to take some stock in that. It's about twice as high as it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And then if you compare the that, longest time. If you compare that to pre-pandemic or pre-Joe Biden, which he will not do, he'll only focus on the year over year. Look, I'm bringing it down. Yeah, after you shot it through the roof, but it's shelter, and that's because. Folks went out and bought them houses when the rates went to crazy 2%. And they're squatting on them. They can't afford to move. They may have an interest in perhaps upgrading. But they're saying, shoot, if I do that, I lose my 2% mortgage. I go buy another house, 7 and change. It just hit a, a high, by the way, after the Moody's downgrade uh, two days ago. So that is uh, severely constricting the supply. Well, when the supply of houses is constricted, that also means a lot of people say, I priced out of the housing market, I got to rent. And that increases the demand for uh, rental property, which is crazy if you take a look at that right now. Even rental houses, nuts. Used to be that just that just wasn't a very popular thing, but that's become more in vogue because people can't qualify for a mortgage or pay the mortgage rates. Which the ultimate irony in that is you can't qualify for a mortgage even though your mortgage payment would be less than your monthly rent. That's exactly right. And there, and there, I will say there are some institutional renters that are sort of applying the same sort of credit check and uh, payment qualification. I've heard a, a lot about that. Third parties that get involved, you know, in rent property on behalf of the owners, and they're doing credit checks and, and uh, qualifying the, the candidate, the applicant, on their ability to make the payment just as you would in a mortgage payment, So because that's becoming a real risk. As you point out, they may have a higher payment there than they would if they uh, took out a conventional mortgage. So all these factors are affecting the economy, but more importantly, it is housing, housing specifically, that is boosting inflation. Shelter is the category that the Fed calls it. All interesting info. Mo, uh, Mark from Gulfport, pardon me, says, I absolutely agree with the texter who said your interviews made up their mind. I was on the fence till I heard the two senators speak. And I think a lot of people do put a, put a great deal of stock in 
colleagues, what they say. I've said that before. I, you know, if thinking back on my business career, if those who worked with me, I mean, technically they were employed by my company, but I never really saw it that way. I, I viewed them as, as peers, as colleagues, as, as um, team members, all, all trying to pull the wagon in the same direction. But as, as the manager, if you couldn't get positive feedback from your colleagues, your work, uh, your, your worker uh, companions, you'd be worried about that. I think that's reasonable. And there were it wasn't just one. If it was one, you'd say that's just an outlier and they got something going on. But when, it, when it's multiple, I think that does have some sway. And that's what happened here. Now, I, you know, I can't question any of them because you had some... I mean, that's why they ask for more than one reference when you apply for a job. It's precisely right. Or you're trying to sell a company something. You know, they want to know some people that have said, yeah, these people are going to do a good job. That's pretty powerful. Very powerful. Now, typically when you supply references, you're not going to supply those who are going to talk bad about you. But on the other hand, if you've got some that will talk good about you, it's a pretty good sign. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, but I do think that that was a factor, and I really can't I can't speak too much to that other than you, you saw what you got, and you had multiple folks uh, express their concerns that serve in the Senate with the senator. Could, could have had a different outcome were that not the case. You know, we'll only we, – we'll never know. But back to – the lieutenant governor. So I spoke earlier about the governor with a focus on economic development. He gets it. He understands also that we've had some strides, positive strides made in education, but we got work to do there. And he, of course, touted the amount of investment that's come into the state since he's been in the governor's mansion. And but he also he also conveyed that we're going to continue to promote Mississippi as a good place to set up shop. So, at the lieutenant governor's event, I didn't hear that sort of message. Take take from it what you will, folks. But the lieutenant governor, his priorities were mental health. I don't know specifically what that means. Uh, education, don't know specifically what that means. The health care system in the state, clearly that's a problem that needs to be addressed, in campaign finance reform, reference dark money. And I think that was um, I think that was a volley thrown at the senator. You remember early on, Rhino, there was some questions from the uh, pardon me, from the Hoseman camp about some filings and some money that was showing and then money that got returned. Honestly, it's a bit convoluted. I don't know all the facts and the details, just what we see in the public square. But I, I found it interesting that he focused on that, missing in the discussion. And I only point this out because it has come up so frequently on our tax line. It has come up in the public, missing from the lieutenant governor's remarks anything about tax reform anything about the ballot initiative. Something else that comes up regularly? 
uh, from the, I would just say, more conservative segment of the state, term limits. See that a lot. Comes up a lot. No discussion of that. And honestly, I don't know that we have a chance there. But specifically, the ballot initiative and any, anything further with respect to tax reform, those topics, and I, and I may be reading too much into this, honestly. Those topics were just missing. I'm just simply passing that on. I was present. I listened. And if you look at uh, various media reports from the event, which include some quotes from the speech, you'll note that that was missing. Something else missing? School choice. Something I want to talk about, honestly. We hold ourselves up as a very conservative state. But it just being objective here, analyzing, it seems like that that the, the litmus test for that is guns and abortion. Beyond that, just doesn't seem like that we align with what would be considered conservative, mainstream conservative philosophy. School choice is a big one. We've seen that sweeping the nation, gaining tremendous momentum. No doubt the most pro-school choice education freedom president we've ever had was Donald Trump. And he appointed a Secretary of Education in Betsy DeVos that by far is the most pro-school choice education freedom Secretary of Education we've ever had in this country. And this is Trump country, I think you would could accurately say. But we don't align with him. It's not popular here. I'll explain on the other side of the break. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Shake, 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 Sinora. Shake your body liner. We are back in the Element Well studio. We appreciate you joining us. So, Brian in Madison on the ceasefire text line said that the lieutenant governor did address school choice with Mr. Gallo this morning. I didn't catch the interview. You had a Makita board meeting. He pointed out issues that need to be holistically addressed. My takeaway is that he's for teeing it up. Well, that would be as a departure from historical position on it. He, he uh, in my discussions with the lieutenant governor, he is uh, very strongly opposed the use of public money going to non-public entities, such as private schools, which is one of the features of school choice. I think, uh, by the way, I'm not going to tell you where it is, because I I don't want to betray any confidences with a friend. 
But there was a race where that got to be the central issue. And you'll typically see opposition to school choice in districts, voters in districts that have very strong school systems. They just want to protect what they got. I get it. And there's this this erroneous perception, a misconception, that school choice would torpedo my great school district. Simply not true. That is not the goal. That is not the objective. Now, the reality is school choice can take many forms. And if you look at the way it's been implemented in states across the country, such as Florida, such as Arizona, such as Iowa, such as Arkansas, they're, they're all different a bit. They're nuanced. So the legislature could do anything they want. They could pass into law, of course. But in general, so this, is, this is something that comes up. Well, if we allowed the money, the public state portion of the money, to follow the child, that's kind of the concept, right? I can use right. my money to pay for the education setting I believe is best suited for my child, be that private, charter, public, uh, homeschool. So in the homeschool issue, a lot of people, as you know, especially after the pandemic, started homeschool, especially after in states where they saw the garbage being shoved down their kid's throat, the, the indoctrination, honestly. Well, in states that have education scholarship accounts, school choice, that money could be used for a homeschooling education. There's a misconception that the state just mails a check. Here's your money. Go educate your kids. And that the parents would just say, yeah, I'm homeschooling my kid. Send me the money, six, 7000 bucks, whatever it is, a year. And I'm just going to buy dope and alcohol with it. That is not how it's been implemented anywhere in the country. It's quite sophisticated, as a matter of fact. And there are national portals that homeschool uh, homeschoolers can use to essentially like an Amazon for homeschool. Think about it. It's an e-commerce type site. And you choose virtual learning, online courses, materials, computers, the, the same sort of tools you'd have in a, in a public school setting. And then the, your account has already, by the way, these are approved vendors to be used. This is not some made-up deal. It's approved in your state. Specifically, that vendor and what they sell is approved for use by public money in a homeschool environment. And you simply select what you want, and your account then automatically pays for it. You use your account. You don't have to, but you can tap the dollars available in your account on the portal to make those purchases. And when you're out, you're out, and you can only use it for that which has been approved. Sometimes you may have to buy things not listed, not available on the site. When you do that, you've got to supply documentation, just like an expense report to a typical company. And then you would be reimbursed uh, for that once it's approved. So it's not as if people think. And then the other thing is, oh, well, heck, that means right next to my district, which is an A, there's an F, and all the kids in the F are just going to depart 
that district and flood mine. That's not the way that works either. There, there are rules and restrictions and policies and process and procedure around that to avoid that. So no one should support, and I'm a school choice proponent, I don't support any form of school choice that would harm any district. So if I live in an A, I don't want to do anything that would harm my A. I want my schools to continue to thrive and excel. But there can be some reasonable reasonable school choice options that would allow some that are locked into an F to have the opportunity to be in an A. That can be done reasonably without overrunning it. Nobody's ever proposed that. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. Jeremy Nelson is next. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. You are tuned in to Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve. Uh, we are pleased to welcome now partner at Element Wealth, Mr. Jeremy Nelson. Jeremy, always good to see you, sir. Always a pleasure to be here, Gerard. And just wanted to say, um, just great coverage over the last few weeks and, and months with the primaries. I uh, really enjoyed listening. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We uh, we got a great team here and and that supplies us with all kinds of information and and we want to keep the folks informed. It's been a lot, a lot of fun and and it uh, keeps us going. That's for sure. But yeah. today we got the news on that old inflation and uh, the markets have been reacting. I think they're still digging into the details of the report because it's uh, it's vacillating a bit. Yeah, right? o- opened up pretty strong, right? You saw you know over one percent gains in the Dow, the S and P, the Nasdaq. Everyone kind of rallied up. Now it's it's fading off here over the last hour or so. Look, you got a number at three point two percent that was. I mean, largely in line with consensus, right? It's it's an uptick from last month. Yeah. Which is not surprising. Uh, you know, we've been pretty consistent on the show over the last year saying, hey, inflation's going to come down. Some of it's just because the the comps, right? The comps are really, really high. And so the year over year number, right? So, you know, we're comparing to a period of time where inflation was 8 9%. Naturally, the inflation numbers are going to be coming down. But it's going to start to get harder and harder as we go over the next 12 months for that inflation number to trend down towards that, that Fed target of 2%, because right. the comps are going to be lower. Yeah, and so, but well, we had a kind of a mixed report, right? Because we had we had a year-over-year year that was slightly up, yep. but we had a month-to-month month that was slightly down. Yep. And in both cases, it was insignificant. I mean, it, and the minimal. market goes crazy. Oh, point one, oh my gosh, yeah. you know. Well, and that's, and that's what you see, right? The the market is going to trade on news, and then it's going to kind of sort itself out over the rest of the day and then the rest of the week. And yeah, because they start digging into yeah. it, too. Yeah. And so we were just talking about it before you came on, that uh, when you look at core, of course, which excludes volatile energy 
in food, by the way, referred to for the benefit of our audience as the headline number. Yep. You got the headline number, then the core number. Yep. Headlines, the basket of goods of everything, and then the core uh, excludes the categories of food and energy. And it's the theory there is that those are very volatile and they're not indicative of a trend mm-hmm. uh, one way or another. But shelter is included in the core. Yes. And that it's still a problem. We don't have supply. We're not going to fix the inflation and shelter until we get more supply of housing. That is absolutely key. And there's going to be continued pressure there because you're starting to see household formation amongst millennials, right? It was really, really delayed. COVID kind of pushed people out of the cities and into the suburbs. And, the, and yeah, we talked about this. We said, look, eventually the millennials are going to have kids, right? right? They're just doing it a little bit later. And so you're going to see continued pressure on shelter, on housing, because we've systemically underbuilt since the financial crisis, right? Population is still continuing to grow. Um, And now nobody is selling their houses, right? right? Because, you know, if you've locked in a two and a half or three and a half percent mortgage, how can you justify upgrading a house, paying more? and then paying double the interest rate. It's just not affordable. In fact, I would argue that there are many living in these houses at the 2% mortgage rates that could not qualify for a mortgage for the same house today. 100%. I'm I'm actually working with a client right now that's that's out of state, and this is an issue that we're having. She needs to downsize, but it's... Downsize may cost more than the present house. Yes. So you're yes. not really downsizing. You yep. may be downsizing in the size and the value, the yep. price of the house, but the mortgage isn't because of the interest rate. It, it's, it's a real pickle, and you're finding more and more people in this situation. So, mm-hmm. you know, very important that, you know, we continue to, to get construction and, and building up. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, you're seeing a little bit of a downtick in lending there right now. But, yeah, I think that you're going to see continued pressure on inflation from that shelter number. Yeah, I mean, and, and we're sort of fortunate in this part of the country. It's not crazy. But there are a lot of parts of the country it, it have just priced out the vast majority of home buyers. Look, I mean, that's why you're seeing a lot of influx of people into, you know, southern states – yeah, because it's more affordable to live here. But, but besides the, the cost of housing and just the overall cost of commodities to live, uh, you've got the tax environment, especially the property tax. That doesn't come up a lot, but you're, you're from Canada. You know a little bit about yeah. our bordering states up there in New York and, and Michigan and so forth, New Jersey, that northeast. It is insane how expensive property taxes Look, are. I, I've got clients in New York State. I've got clients in New Jersey, um, clients in California. It's nuts. And when it's it's crazy when we run financial plans because our, our system picks up their state taxes and then we put uh-huh. right and so <clears throat> we're looking at what the difference in their taxes are at similar income rates to our clients here in Mississippi in retirement it's shocking the property tax I, I've talked about this before when you look at real estate listings the MLS in for uh, for example in New Jersey Connecticut New York that pocket where property taxes are incredibly high. You typically see listed the amount of annual property taxes. Yes, because it's a major factor in affordability and just your your willingness to take the pain. But you see a four hundred thousand dollar house; it's got twenty five thousand a year of property tax. Yep, it's not like I've I've got this client in New Jersey and I've been to his house. It's beautiful, like nice house. I mean, um, smaller than my house here. 
his property taxes are five times what mine are. Sure, exactly. That's five the times. point. Yeah, five times. So it, it's often more than the mortgage itself. The property taxes are more than the mortgage yep. itself. Yep. That's how upside down it is. So, uh, but the markets, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, a lot of our, our audience, as you know, typically will tell us that they're approaching retirement. They, they want to know what to do. And uh, that's one of the services you guys provide to help them out with that. Uh, you and I were talking offline. The, the bad news is, I guess, the equity markets are quite volatile. And, uh, but the good news is the fixed income and the dividend opportunities are, are pretty plentiful. We, you know, we're going to be coming out with our you know, economic forecast for 2024. We'll be doing our presentations you know, as we get in towards the new year. And just kind of spoiler alert, the number one thing we're going to be talking about this year is we really see the, the probability that there's a tectonic shift that's happening. It's being masked this year because you have the NASDAQ up so much. Yeah. But if you actually go back and you look at like high dividend ETFs from the beginning of 2022 to today, they're flat on the year, but they're still ahead of where you would have been if you invested in the NASDAQ. I got you. And, and a lot of people don't, when, mm. when I show people that, they're like, really? Mm. And, you know, it's just, it's fact. So we think that finding, you know, profitable companies that, that pay dividends and, you know, you're talking about di- high dividend paying stocks trading at 12 and 13 times earnings on average instead of 24, the broad market, you know, growth stocks, you know, pushing up around 30 times earnings. We think that going in, Finding some of those older school, classic, profitable hmm. sectors is going to make a lot of sense. And then also, you know, look, we're on the fixed income side, we're getting paid. This is the first time that we've really been getting paid in a long time. That's true. You're seeing people that are looking at, at hey, I haven't made any money in five years in fixed income, so I'm selling it. Well, no, 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 no. That's That's the mistake because now – you're being compensated. You're getting lots of yield. There's a lot of opportunity in uh, mortgages, a lot of opportunities in, in corporate credit and, and things like that. So really important, I think, to have that fixed income in the portfolio today. Yeah, and, and the good news is we we even have that opportunity because it's been a while since we really had any meaningful opportunities for fixed income. And a lot of people, as, certainly as they age, right, they want to uh, protect, and they're a little more risk-averse. Yep. They want to protect their principal. But you just hadn't had a lot of income opportunities. So you just kind of sit on that money in some uh, investments at 1% or 2%. Yeah, well, look, and a lot of a lot of what happened from, you know, say, 2010 up through 2020 and, and beyond here was that the market moved upwards. Yeah. About half of it had to do with earnings growth. About half right. of it had to do with the fact that we were just paying more for the same stuff. Yeah. And the the, the Tina mentality, there is no alternative. I can't buy bonds because I'm not going to get paid, yeah. so I have to buy stocks. Well, look, you have opportunity now in fixed income to have a safer portfolio and earn reasonable rates of well, return. It, you know, I think about the the years of my parents, you know, retiring in the, in the late 70s. You didn't think about taking your retirement ex- nest, egg, uh, nest egg right and investing it in equities, you nope. just put it in fixed income. Yeah. You could buy CDs at the bank and get 8% back then, right? Yeah. And you were happy with that. Yeah. Look, so, I, th- I think the the mistake people will make is that they're gravitating too much on the short end because that's the high, where the higher yields yeah. are. 
Yeah, you got to lock a little bit of duration in here. I'm hearing more and more, and, we, and so you're you're starting to see the yields peel back a little bit mm-hmm. there because we're seeing more money locking into those long term yep. investments. Um, when we come back, uh, if you can hang around with yep, us, absolutely. we'll talk about the inverted yield curve. I want you to, I want to talk to you about some new credit card legislation. Stay with us. All right. Middays with Gerard. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios with Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Well, just talking everything uh, financial at this point. So we uh, we're looking at just a, a wide swath of information. I know you're consuming this every day to try to figure out how to position the, these uh, your customers' money. Yeah, yeah. just invest it, deploy yeah. it. You want to put money to work. Absolutely. And, you know, look, I, I remember going into this year, one of the things I told people is I said, look, yeah, we're we're kind of in the recession camp in the second half of the year. Uh, obviously, that's it, it hasn't happened yet. I still think that there's risk that we could see that recession uh, coming you know, later this year, beginning of next year. But I told everyone, I said, don't be too bearish. Yeah. Right. And, and and it's it's a real challenge. So I think right now people just you've got to have a good long term plan. You're not going to time this. I mean, I had someone come and see us yesterday that was in tech stocks and they were out of tech stocks. They missed the run up. They've just lost a ton of money. You can really mess things up when you're trying to just guess what's going to happen. You right. got to build a long term mm-hmm. plan. And I think that you can build that around income right now. And that's a great way to retire. Yeah, I, it's uh, highly risky, shall we say, to think that you can outsmart the in institutional traders in the equity markets and try to produce income by that means. That's just hard. Yeah, I it's mean, not like impossible. Just, you know, I, I, I'm on Reddit for entertainment, and I see these idiots that are just losing life savings, trading right. options, and things like right. that. There's just no reason to do that stuff. It's um, you're trying to outguess yep. something, and it, with your small uh, amount. Yeah. <laughs> you can't move anything. Exactly. Right. And you're certainly not going to outguess the algorithms that are doing all the trading. No. At an incredibly rapid pace, just on consumption of nuggets of information. Yeah. But this inverted yield curve is uh, disturbing. It's the the biggest gap we've had since 1978. And by the way, as you well are aware, the inverted yield curve is undefeated in predicting <laughs> recessions. Right? Yeah, it's, Six it's, times, I think, since it, then. It's just a matter of time. So when it first inverted, everyone went, recession, 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 right? And we, last year, were on the show, hey, we're not in a recession. We'd, we've right. been very vocal. We were very vocal about that. But if you go back and you think about before the 08 cr- crash, the yield curve inverted in 2006. And it wasn't until 2008 that you had the recession and the crash. Right. So... You know, it is undefeated. It is something that I look at, and it it does concern me. 
in in a in a very significant manner, and I think that's why people need to keep risk in check. Yeah, T- timing is the difficult part of that, right? Yeah. He said, "Okay, this indicates it's undefeated, but we don't know if that's next quarter, next year, two years from now." And we should also explain for our audience what the inverted yield curve is. Yeah, so it it just means that short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates, right? So we all know that you know the the Fed funds rate is above five percent now. And you've got a 10-year Treasury today at like four. So you could actually get more actual yield by investing in short-term, short-term. Treasuries versus a long-term Treasury right now. Typically, there's the 30-year. Yeah. You look at the 30-year bond which, versus the 10 to 2. Which in, a, which in a healthy market and economy, you should be paid more to lock your money up right. for a longer time period. Right. Yeah. And the reason that yields are dropping somewhat on the long term is that investors are making that move, and so the demand is greater, and thus the yield is lower. Does it mean they have to they can sell it for a, usually above par value? Yeah, and, and, and what and what what people are doing there is they're they're looking out and they're saying, okay, what are the long term economic growth prospects? What is yeah. what's the long term inflation rate look like? Whereas the short end is just handling what's inflation today. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, I didn't mean to spring this on you, the Credit Card Competition Act of 2023. It uh, was introduced in June. Uh, Senator Dick Durbin is a big proponent of this thing. And just stated simply, it means that the largest credit card uh, issuing financial institutions, the big banks mm-hmm. that issue these credit cards, those would are defined as having more than $100 billion of assets. They would have to offer to a merchant and enable at least two credit card processing networks, that's where these so-called swipe fees come from. It's the paying for the cost of all the technology and all the transmission in the swipe of a card all the way through the transaction processing and so forth. And, and Durbin and company believe that this is a way to to take down the uh, this 3% you see mm-hmm. surcharge being added that a lot of merchants have just started passing that yep. on rather than absorbing it. He believes that, but the credit card companies have come out and said, "Okay, guys, if you put this into law, then you know these cash back rewards and all these points and stuff, these perks you get for for swiping, going away. Gone. Gone. Don't they get that? Look, the the they the credit card companies have to make money, sure, in order to provide the service. There's money involved yes. in, in pro- doing all that processing. It's not just air. Yeah. Look, it's." There's always going to be, you know, financial institutions are always going to find a way around things to make money. Yeah. Right? You're, you're, you're just not going to get ahead of that. Short of it being a nationalized bank like we yeah. see in Venezuela, yeah. for example. Yeah, exactly. You see Italy, what they imposed on the banks over there? I did see that, yes. Windfall um, profits on interest. <laughs> How bizarre is that? It, it's, it's absolutely bizarre, and you, you would think... You know, we talked about this on on the show maybe four months ago. One of the great things about our country is is the banking system, right? And you would think that these other countries would see that a strong banking system and credit creation is good for the economy, and they're just kicking the banks in the teeth. Inserting government in it, which yep. is the worst thing you could do. It absolutely is the worst thing you could do. I believe it was the brainchild, if I'm recalling this from uh, my many money and banking courses, of Thomas Jefferson. I think he largely was the brains behind the uh, the American banking system, yeah. the financial and, system. And it, it is one of the things that makes our economy the most vibrant, developed no doubt. nation in the, country, no in the doubt. world. I think we as just average Americans 
discount the value of that. I, I, I don't think that it's something that, that the average American thinks about on a daily basis, right? Agreed. And, 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 doesn't quite, and doesn't quite understand how fortunate we are here. I agree. Yes. And then let's think about the, uh, the institutional uh, investment community that handles capital where the banks fall short. Mm-hmm. I, I personally experienced that. You yeah. go to the private equity world, and uh, they, they have credit facilities. Besides just making equity investments, you're going to pay through the nose, but you know what? They're taking unbelievable risk that the banks cannot. Well, you're seeing a massive, massive explosion. I get emails, I mean, every single day about private credit yeah. and private credit opportunities. You know, um, we we do use some of it. Um, we use what we think is the best sponsor out there. Okay, but you got to be real careful because again, they are taking on a risk that the banks are no longer willing to take. I agree. Uh, by the way, one of your uh, colleagues says it was Hamilton. I got the okay. wrong founder. Okay, I, I knew it was one of those guys had uh, devised all that, and actually saw some of the original writings when I was studying that stuff at college. It's fascinating. Interesting. Yeah, Jefferson was in favor of uh, state banks, yeah, more national central banks. That's what yeah. I got wrong, so I apologize for that. But incredible when mm-hmm. you think about it. How could you have the wisdom and the vision for that? Uh, I mean, t- today we just, oh, yeah, that's the way it works. But when there's nothing, who comes up with that? you got to be pretty smart. I mean, I, look, I go back. I mean, when you think about the, the people who founded and formed, you know, what America is today, you know, decades ago, and centuries ago, even yeah, right, right. It's pretty incredible to to see the fourth the foresight that they had. Unbelievable. Yeah. And we seem to be working overtime to get rid of all that, right? exactly to abolish everything yeah. they came up with. Yeah. Kind of sad. We saw Joe Biden. We touched on this earlier. Was in New Mexico earlier and said, "Yeah, we're getting rid of that fossil fuels. We're killing the whole dang industry. We're not going to be using it." I mean, that is his goal. Wants sixty-seven percent of the vehicles on the road in twenty twenty-three to be EVs. I mean, it's just not practical. It's 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 not going to work, and it's also one of the reasons that we're actually kind of st- we're long-term bullish on energy right now. We actually think that that is going to be a really good place to be invested because if we're limiting production, yeah, supply. Right, if we're limiting supply, then those companies that have the existing supply, it's going to be more and more valuable. It's eighty-four bucks a barrel. You think it's going to a hundred? Um, I don't think it's going there anytime quick, but yeah, okay. I think that I think there's going to be continued upward um, pressure there over the longer term. You know, if you hit a recession, oil prices are volatile; they yeah. could come down. But when you're talking about you know a five and ten year view, I think oil's going higher, and I think that the energy companies are going to do well. What's crazy gets a little political here is that uh, by suppressing the production of oil in this country, and oil, as you know, is a global mm-hmm. commodity, you're actually playing into the hands of the people who want to wipe us off the face of the earth. I just absolutely do not understand how we've shifted from, you know, the even during the Obama administration, energy independence, right. North American energy independence, right. and now we're trying to kill it. I just yeah. don't understand it. We're just handing the industry off to our most ardent foes. It, it makes, just makes no sense. No sense at all. We appreciate it, Jeremy. Always a great uh, insight. Appreciate having me. Yep. Thank Thanks. you. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. Spence Flatguard at 12.05. He's going to talk about ballot access, getting the ballot initiative reinstated in Mississippi. Thanks for joining us. We're coming right back.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We are so grateful you joined us today. Don't forget an all-day remote. Tomorrow, the entire Super Talk Mississippi team will be on the Mississippi State University campus as we bring awareness to CAST. That's an acronym that represents Child Advocacy Studies Training. This is a nonprofit membership organization that supports and advocates on behalf of children's advocacy centers in multidisciplinary teams statewide. So we're going to be up there all day. They're not going to give me a ticket like they did last time, did you? That was actually in the city of Starkville. <laughs> While I was interviewing the mayor, <laughs> they were out there planting a ticket on my vehicle parked in Oxford. I, I still think it's because I had the old Miss tag on there. You think? Surely not. Nah. <laughs> I was over the limit, but I didn't even recognize it. It's it wasn't that clear that there was like a parking time limit. I, I just messed up. That downtown two-hour parking. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we got it. Jerry in Pontotoc says, Hey, Gerard, isn't your daughter a teacher? So is my son, my sister, and her husband. They're retired teachers. Like farmers and teachers, I think teaching is respectful and an honorable occupation. Yeah, I do, too. She... um. She just changed jobs. Jerry, appreciate that. She taught for, I think it was 10 years, maybe nine, in the Madison County School District. And an opportunity arose with the Secretary of State's office. And she was intrigued by that, applied for it, went through the interview process. She's the Education Outreach Coordinator. Essentially, her job is to, just that, to educate uh, the good people of Mississippi about the role of the Secretary of State. She promotes People get registered to vote, for example, and getting out and vote goes around. She She's just starting to get to that point where they're letting her go on her own, learning the ropes and uh, address people. She did some young folks in Jackson last week, had a conversation, many of whom she reported to me said, you know, I think I'm going to start voting Republican. Folks that you would normally not think would support Republicans, and I think I do believe you're seeing a lot of minorities in this country say, you guys have been telling us you're on our side for a long time. Things are getting worse. They're not getting better. I think when Joe Biden runs around with his, his climate cult ideology, I'm going to kill fossil fuels, the reality is, in doing so, you are constraining supply and the price is going up at the pump. And everybody's seeing that. And that's like the most visible sign of pressure on your household finance. I, I would say it is. It's just that gas, especially in a state where you cannot get around any other way. I mean, you've got limited public transportation. We don't have a lot of people that live in big cities, for example, that right. don't even have a vehicle that, you know, live in a building and either work at home or they walk two blocks to work or they catch subway or public other forms of public transportation. We don't have that. We have a lot of people in this state got to drive 40, 50 miles a day to their place of work. And they're consuming gas, and it costs money to do that. So 
hopefully folks are starting to wake up and realize these people are not your friend. They're not at all. They may say they are, and you know, what did Joe Biden say? You ain't black unless you vote for me and all that kind of crap. What has he done for you? What did Richard Biloxi say? On the lieutenant governor's race, I almost selected the one that had no attack ads. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, I am pleased to hear a, polit- a politician, pardon me, focus on mental health issues. Mental health services are scarce in our state and non-existent in some areas, and it's cut off due to that. So, uh, I, the second part came in first. Oh, I see. Uh, due to the ongoing rise in illegal drug use, we are seeing the development of more and more mental illness cases and lunacy referrals. So the, the problem, well, I shouldn't say the problem, but the, the challenge there is it's money. I mean, you can talk about addressing the mental health problem all day long. I, I get it. But the solution largely is money. And if you look at our schools where special needs children, for example, attend. We don't have enough special needs teachers to place one in every school. And it's difficult for students who are special needs to get to where there is a school with one. That is, by the way, one of the accomplishments of Empower, which is we got the special needs bill passed several years ago. It does allow special needs child, their money. It's not universal school choice, but it is a form of school choice that allows a a child with special needs that happens to be uh, restricted to a school based on their address that cannot accommodate their needs. So they have the option to apply for a special needs scholarship, and then their money follows them to a school with special needs resources and assets. So if you wanted to make those more pervasive and closer in proximity to uh, our population, it's money. So you see the dilemma here, though, Rhino, is that on the one hand, we say we got to cut spending. we got to cut spending. we got to rein it in. Talk about even in the state. we got to rein in the size of government. We hear Thomas and Greenwood tell us that every day. So, okay, but you've got this mental health issue, and... Best I can tell, the only solution to that is more funding for more assets and resources. And highly qualified special needs teachers and instructors, therapists, etc., they're not cheap. That's because there's more demand than there is supply. That's the way the market works. So we'll just see, though. I mean, I'm not trying to get out ahead of here what the lieutenant governor's plans are, but I have a hard time fathoming that anything else other than just more funding to, to, to pay more resources, more human resources, to work on that uh, is a solution. It's part of the solution. How do we, the people, get help get school choice passed? We'd love to hear your thoughts. So back on this story I was about to share about uh, a race in the state that largely was determined based on one candidate's support for school choice and the other candidate's opposition to it. And the other and the candidate that opposed it prevailed. One. So to the point here, I don't think school choice, I know in, in advocating for it now for ten years, it's not popular in the state of Mississippi. It is not popular. It's not popular in the legislature. That's why we don't have it. The lieutenant governor 
has opposed it. The uh, Speaker of the House has opposed it. I did notice that he seems to be softening. Of course, he's not running for re-election. I caught a speech that he made at the uh, Mississippi Federation for Republican Women. Went to that. Uh, they always have a breakfast at Neshoba County Fair on Thursday. I attended that. Speaker of the House was uh, the guest speaker of honor. And he actually said something positive about that. But in the past, honestly, he's blocked it. Uh, now, again, the misconceptions about it, I believe, are what hurts the prospect of enacting school choice. Like I said earlier, this, and that was used effectively, by the way, in this race where the school choice opponent prevailed. They were messaging the fear-mongering that you're going to send checks to these homes for school um, homeschooling, and the parents are just going to pocket the money and buy dope and alcohol with it, literally. And unfortunately, there there just was impossible to get out and debunk that. And same thing. And people, when they learn, the old saying, "A lie will go around the world twice before the truth has time to put its shoes on." Yeah. Same with in business, you know, if you have one upset customer, they tell 500, and the happy customer tells two. Something to that effect was always kind of the rule of thumb. But even when you when you uh, share that Donald Trump is a proponent, large proponent, he said he's talked about it in recent rallies. School choice wants to do something at the federal level. These same people that are hardcore Trump supporters oppose, vigorously oppose, school choice. How do you reconcile that? Same with abortion we've talked about. He's on record here in the last uh, couple of months at his rallies. That issue comes up, and he says, we're going, I'm quoting now, maybe just missing the quote a bit, but we're going to get something done on abortion, and it's going to make everybody, quote, very satisfied. That's Trump. You know, he likes to talk at kind of that level. I can make everybody happy. I think that's because he's reading the tea leaves and realizes that if he takes a, a strict pro-life position, can't get elected. Mike Pence, evangelical Christian, has even come out and said, yeah, I can live with a 15-week federal ban. And on the other side of the break, since we're going to be talking to Spence Flatguard here in a few minutes about uh, reinstating the ballot initiative. We're going to talk about one that just went down in the state of Ohio. State of Ohio. All eyes in the nation on this ballot initiative that uh, was just completed at the polls this past Tuesday in the state of Ohio. Stay with us. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back. On Super Talk Mississippi. When I think back on all the crap I see what you did there. 
<laughs> Come on now, I didn't learn any crap in high school. One thing I am glad I learned in high school that I had no idea would be such an important skill for my career was how to type. Took typing class. A lot of people didn't, and then I end up working on a keyboard. I learned how to type incorrectly because I had a broken pinky <laughs> for the period of time we were learning how to use our pinkies. <laughs> I learned on a manual typewriter, and it, I hear all the, all the students doing the little exercises, you know. And Sister Clarissa, when I went to St. Joseph High School, was uh, our teacher, and she was about four foot five. And uh, boy, she was tough. <laughs> you'd come by while you were typing. If she didn't like the way you were performing, you get like kneaded. <laughs> like, man, sister, you're killing me here. I'm trying to type, you know. You didn't forget that, though. So um, before we went to break, was talking about this Ohio ballot measure. This was a fascinating ordeal. The uh, state of Ohio. I know we touched on this the other day, but this was before we had the results. This thing went down. It would have increased from 50%, a simple majority, I should say, to 60%, 60% approval of a measure, 60% of the voters voting for a measure, in order for it to become law in Ohio. Actually, part of the Constitution, I should say. Yeah. To be to uh, be inserted into the Constitution, so this measure would have increased it to sixty. Just to be clear, and it was put on the ballot by pro-life organizations, pro-life advocates, because there's a move in the state by pro-choice advocates to enshrine the right to an abortion in Ohio's Constitution. This thing got got rejected. In an, in a uh, uh, overwhelming fashion, fifty seven percent opposed it, forty three percent supported it. That means it is expected that in November, the pro choice people groups will get a measure on the ballot to make access to abortion a constitutional right in the state of Ohio. That's coming. And why is that important? Because Ohio is kind of a purple state. And up until the last cycle, the last two really, it was always thought that, hey, the path to the White House is through Ohio. Everything else kind of shakes out even. Now, that's back when Georgia and Arizona went Republican. And you could sort of write off Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin were going uh, Democrat. So if you sort of changed that, went back to that. It came, comes down to Ohio often. Florida and Ohio. Florida and Ohio. Remember, of course, the hanging chads of Florida came down to Florida. One area of Florida. Well, that's changed in that Ohio's been sort of reliably red, but abortion has become a very polarizing issue in national politics, clearly. And you've also got not only the presidential election in 24, and Ohio's critical for uh, the candidates, but you've got a Senate election. Senator uh, Sherrod is, uh, I think, stepping down, not running for re-election in Ohio. So you got an open seat. 
coming up. And, of course, every dang seat is so important in the U.S. Senate because we're just 50-50. I mean, for the first two years under Biden, Kamala Harris, the vice president, arguably the most unqualified vice president in the history of the nation, has been the tiebreaker. I believe it's still true, Rhino, that she cast more tie-breaking votes than any other vice president, if I'm not mistaken. So you got Sherrod Brown stepping down, and you're going to have a uh, you're going to have a um, an election there that could determine literally control of the U.S. Senate. So that'll be something to behold. He, is, of course, is a Democrat. The other they have they have a split Senate situation. The uh, other senator just elected in at the midterms, twenty two. What I think it's J.D. Vance, right, is uh, a Republican. So it's just something to watch out for, folks. Is all, the only thing I'm trying to point out is that this abortion thing is is uh, really dividing the nation, and it's uh, going to play heavily into the 2024 election cycle. Of course, all House seats up for election, and, it, and it's not in the areas where oh yeah, we're just clearly pro-choice. Oh, yeah, we're clearly pro-life. It's in those areas that (laughs) sort of break the ties and uh, tilt the balance of power in one direction or another. That's where we got it. And Ohio is a stark example of that. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News because it is noon. It's top of the hour. When we return, Spence Flatgard, Chairman, Ballot Access Mississippi Leadership Board. Stay with us. We are coming right back. And now, now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studio, it is a middays on this Friday Eve. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Got to get up early in the morning and head up to Starkville. They're in class, right? All the students are back on campus. I don't know if classes started, but I think everybody's had to go to campus by now. Well, I've been talking to a, a lot of folks who are more uh, in my age range who are moving their children in. Like they look like they live in the Ritz. I mean, he's, what's up with that? I saw somebody, I saw somebody post a photo of like um, the VIP suite in uh, Windsor Palace, and they posted that as being similar to their kids' dorm, the way they've dressed it up. It's what forty, fifty grand now to outfit a dorm. Whereas we were making chairs out of pizza boxes. That's exactly right. Cinder blocks and warped, warped wood. 
right? Like one by twelves or something to make. Oh yeah, we'll take the closet doors off so you have some wood to make a shelf out of. <laughs> we got Spence Flatgard. He is chairman of Ballot Access Mississippi, the leadership board there. Spence, always good to see you, sir. How you yes, doing? Yes, thank you for having me back, Gerard. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. So, a little background about the ballot measure. We've talked about it extensively here on the program. It's one of those issues that gets, uh, I'd say, more engagement on our tax line than anything. People uh, seem to to, uh, support uh, reinstating the ballot measure process. That's, of course, the mechanism where citizens can collect signatures and uh, present that to the Secretary of State, some bill, meet all the various requirements that get stuck on a, a ballot. I believe in the next statewide election, we go to the polls. And if we uh, vote for that, presently in Mississippi, that would amend the Constitution. We don't have a mechanism just to make statute, except there's one little bitty problem. We don't got before congressional districts, and the Constitution specifies that the signatures have to be collected from five. And the Supreme Court uh, sought uh, fit to uh, reject Initiative 65, right? That would created would have created a medical marijuana program, which would have been uh, inserted in and enshrined in our Constitution. So a little background there. Bottom line is we don't have a mechanism right now. That's right. That's a good summary of it. Don't have a mechanism. We have the right. It's in the Constitution. It says that that's a right reserved to the people for Mississippians. The right is there, but the mechanism in there. And, and in terms of background, um, so we got to fix it. And that's what Ballot Access Mississippi's trying to do and help with that conversation this election year. So thanks for having us. On. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, a lot of in terms of background, a lot of folks don't realize it started as a Governor Fordyce in his administration. They pushed it in his first term, and it's been around for thirty years. Uh, Mississippians voted on it. And you're right, I'm not surprised that you get a lot of texts and emails on it. Mississippians, uh, it's a right that they cherish. We all know Mississippians like to vote on things. You know, but yeah. t- Tuesday, I kind of forgot we vote on the surveyor for the county. Yeah. And the coroner. Right. We like to vote. And um, we like <laughs> to coroner. vote on everything down. If we could, if, you know. Um, so that's good. And we like to, it's our constitution. It's not anybody insider's constitution. It's Mississippians' constitution. So we like to have the ability to to vote to amend it. It's ours. So yeah. trying to bring that back through this new uh, group that we're launching today and wanted to do it on your show. So thanks for launching it today. Yes. We're just an hour cool. just an hour ago we went live with our website, ballotaccessmississippi.org. And uh, just wanted to announce it on your show. You're you've got a great platform statewide and listeners that are engaged and honored to do it to do it now got a great group of local leaders and business leaders from around the state and we're going to start today you do i'm just looking you serve as the chair yes uh brickley miller uh vice chair former board president for octibaha county george flags the mayor of vicksburg also on your your board shane aguire uh, Mississippi House of Representatives from Lee County, and then Re- Renee Lambert, I know Renee well, Madison County GOP Chairman, mm-hmm. Dr. Jim Perkins, business owner and veterinarian in Tishomingo County, Billy Mother, yeah. a very successful uh, businessman mm-hmm. and a very successful family, of course, very famous family in the state of Mississippi, Chief Executive Officer, TriStar Acquisition Corp., Rebecca Powers, President of Harrison County Board of Supervisors. Wow, you've got a great 
diverse group that represents all corners of the state. I'm sure that was intentional and well done there. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited about this board. And it's that's just today. We're launching it today. Okay. We're going to add uh, many more people. We've had a lot of inquiries. Austin Barber's going to be on it. I enjoyed listening to his yeah. brother Henry on your show yesterday, yeah. recapping the election. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a good group of local leaders, uh, business leaders. We want this to be a grassroots uh, initiative around the state. And we want to be a forum. Uh, people are for this, but we and there's a lot of good ideas out there. We want to be a forum to, to have it be a part of the conversation with the elections and also get all the good ideas people have and kind of put them together as we head in the next legislative session and kind of tee it up and get it across the goal line. It's been brought up the last two sessions, um, but just hadn't made it. And so we're going to try to help get it across the goal line. Yeah. So the, the challenge, of course, as you know, is, is that the House passed a bill that they transmitted over to the Senate, and it did not get any traction there. And the main objection was on the number of signatures required uh-huh. uh, to get a measure on the ballot. The House wanted to keep that the way it is provided for uh, in, presently in our Constitution, which is 12% of uh, all those who voted for the governor, or the number who voted for the governor in the most recent election. That would come out presently to about 105,000. Right. Or so, and then it went over to the Senate, and at first they wanted 12 percent of the registered voters, which would be some 240 thousand. They backed down to that to 12 percent. It was eight versus 12. That's where I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. It was then to 12 percent of um, those who voted in the last election. The House's was eight percent, mm-hmm. as I recall. So that and that was like 140 something thousand, some 30, 40 thousand difference in the number of signatures. And the House said, no, we're not on board with that. So we don't got anything is the bottom line. That's right. And then you know how the, uh, it goes in legislative sessions. The the House and Senate probably are disagreeing on other things over here. Yeah. And everybody's kind of tired of each other by the end of the session and ready to go campaign. And it just, just it, falls it, off the yeah, radar. It's fell off the radar. So yeah. we don't want that to happen this time. And there's been a lot of, you know, on both sides of the House and Senate, interest in, the, in this and in the number. And I'm not sure what the magic number is. I know... You talked about it with Governor Hoseman at the Neshoba County Fair, and he might have said a number like 8% of the total number of voters, which, um, you know, so we're open to anything. It it doesn't need to be too high where the average voter is overwhelmed and can't do a voter initiative. Um, Doesn't need to be too high. I'm not sure what the magic number is, but we'll get there. Um, the main thing, I think, is everybody's for it. Let's just figure out the details and give Mississippians their right back. Uh, to amend their constitution. Well, you got some in the legislature. I talked about this, uh, Spence, before you came came on, that uh, just completely oppose any any sort of ballot measure process. Senator Polk, uh, it was assigned to his committee the bill, and he he came out. And we we read his quotes uh, on the program before, where he said, "You know, I believe." And I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but not a direct quote. I believe that members of our legislature make themselves accessible to their constituents. They just need to call them and talk to them about their needs, their concerns, and let us handle that. We don't need uh, a a full-blown ballot initiative process where the citizens could get something on the ballot and essentially affect it into law. This was his position. uh, Yeah, I certainly respect Senator Polk. Most legislators are for it. Okay. Um, And, you know, honestly, all legislators take an oath to the Constitution, and the Constitution says it's a right reserved to the people. So it's really not, in my view, people ask my view of whether to have it or not, and I say it's not really, my opinion doesn't matter. It's it's in the Constitution that it's a right reserved to the people. So how do we 
as you start out the program saying, well, how do we how do we effectuate this? Yeah. How do we fix it? And that was what the Supreme Court said was there's a right there. We had five congressmen and then we had four, and so you can't collect signatures from five congressional districts. <laughs> so it can't be it's an absurd result to say, Oh, we had a constitutional right one day but not the next. So it's it's it can't be contingent on the number of congressmen. You either have a constitutional right or you don't. So Let's just fix it. Most people want that. Most interesting. Most, yeah, I haven't really thought about that angle. We got about a minute left, and then we'll catch it on the other side of the break. I haven't thought about that angle. That hey, it's in our constitution. So, um, as an attorney, Spence, why hasn't somebody mounted a lawsuit and said, "Hey, I have the right as a citizen to redress my government through a, a constant, constitutionally provided ballot measure process." You guys aren't in adherence with the Constitution. Get that through the Supreme Court of Mississippi and say, hey, legislature, I want a ballot measure by X. Yeah. Good question that comes up. It costs a lot of money to file a lawsuit. I know it does. And so what, and what we're, we're going to do is say, look, we don't want litigation tied up okay. in the courts. Let's just go through the legislature that, that, that is for it and have something that works for everybody. Let's continue this yeah. discussion on the other side of the break. Spence Flatguard, Chairman Ballot Access Mississippi, just launched today right here on the program. Coming right back. Bring the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studio with Spence Flatgar, chairman of Ballot Access Mississippi. And the mission of this organization is to revive the ballot measure process here in the state of Mississippi. So you have you give me something to think about with, hey, it's in the Constitution. That means it is our right enshrined therein. So that's kind of weird. I was just telling you offline, yesterday I was looking for something uh, in the state constitution, in the most recent uh, draft of it, published at the Secretary of State's website, dated 2022, it, it actually includes a section for medical marijuana, Article 16. And it also shows all of the sections of the medical marijuana bill but not the text for each section. Rather, there are two paragraphs slightly below that that are just um, labeled as NOTE in all caps, NOTE colon. And the first note basically says, yeah, we had a ballot initiative process, and it, it was uh, approved, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then after that, we had a Supreme Court case. The Supreme Court case essentially uh, turned it down, rejected it, in those two short paragraphs. But it's like it got ready to put the whole bill in the Constitution because that's what we would have done mm-hmm. had it not been rejected by the Supreme Court. But it's it now stops short of that, just has the sections and their numbers, their respective numbers, and then these two paragraphs kind of explaining what happened. So I guess the thing that struck me about it, Spence, is that a lot of people said, and I, I'm kind of with them, you don't want a medical marijuana bill in our Constitution. And it was lengthy. You don't want that. But – 
we actually have medical marijuana, <laughs> the words, in our Constitution. I didn't know that. Yeah. Who, who would have thought? Let's pull back so to you, Mike. Yeah, yeah, thanks for telling yeah. me that. I, yeah. I didn't know that. Um, and for that reason, and I heard that some people said, well, you know, there's certain things you don't we don't we are for but we don't want it in the constitution. Yeah, so a, sure. a neat idea that's come up, you know, in the House and Senate is let's have another uh process too that where you can uh propose a general law and a bill uh and have a voter initiative process that way, which yeah. I think is good and interesting and you maybe have a lower signature threshold to get on the ballot because it's not in the constitution. Uh still make it hard, but that's I think that would get a lot of you know, okay. traction. That's an interesting idea. So you and I were talking offline. It, it is my personal belief that there are three major issues that are kind of just teed up that I think would get to the ballot should we reinstate uh, the ballot measure process, the ballot initiative process, and that's uh, Medicaid expansion, um, extended access to abortion, and you heard me talking about what's happening in Ohio, Kansas, you know, uh, had, had a similar measure where uh, they were voting on access to abortion. They have a 22-week ban, it turns out, so more folks in Kansas do support more extended access to abortion. We have a much stricter uh, law here, and only in, in a, couple, a couple of uh, cases, uh, endangerment to the mother, I believe, and rape, will we allow an abortion in the state of Mississippi. Uh, and then the other one is recreational marijuana. I just believe that all three of those, having seen some privately conducted polls, would pass. Well, I guess I'll disagree with you. I'm not okay. as good at um, political pro- you know, prognostication, but I can look at history. Sure. So we've, you know, we had the ballot process for 30 years since Governor Fordyce brought it to us in, in 1992, and. It's pretty hard, first of all, to get on the ballot. I think 76 times initiatives started, and maybe seven times in 30 years it got on the ballot. And on those seven times, uh, three times the uh, voters voted to amend the Constitution. And those were conservative things. It really wasn't a liberal you know, amendment that passed. So we had voter ID, the Republican Party pushed, yep. eminent domain, Farm Bureau pushed on uh property rights and I would I would argue medical marijuana was wasn't ideological it was 74 percent Republican Democrat so there really wasn't I, I don't think Mississippi would uh, voters would they're informed I don't think they would pass something to go backwards on abortion we've been leaders on that I just don't think that would pass okay I agreed to disagree yeah, on that sure yeah, yeah. And, you know I, yeah. I think I shared with you my theory on that is that virtually all Democrats would support it because this wouldn't be like a primary where you're you're all mm-hmm. voting for the same party, and that's would peel off forty percent. You need one in five Republicans to put it over the finish line, and that might be where we disagree. I, you know, one of the one of the areas I think I don't think all Democrats. There's a lot of more pro-life Democrats than it could I, be you know, in Mississippi. I, 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 I think, think that yeah, could be. I think it's culturally in Mississippi. I just don't think we go backwards. You on may abortion. be right, and there's it, no way to tell till we put that out there. That's true. And also, you know, the legislature's talked about maybe having a caveat on not having an abortion vote. I've seen know, that, too. That, that, yeah. So that could happen. So I'm not yeah. as, I'm not really worried. I'm pro-life. I'm not worried. And by the way, I, I, don't op- I don't oppose. I support reinstating it. I don't oppose it because I believe that those three issues would likely pass. And it, it, look, it's just an opinion. I don't have any proof yeah. of that. It's just an extrapolated informed opinion. Yeah, no, it's interesting to think about, because that, that is where you go, well, what if we had the process? What could, you know, you start prognosticating, and it's interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, something else I've heard voters talk about is term limits. Mm-hmm. They'd like to see that. 
they would like to see. And I, I don't know, honestly, is that stipulated in our Constitution or is that statute? I'm not actually sure. I'd have to review that. Yeah, me too. Didn't it? Didn't it? Uh, that was brought up, and I think failed. Uh, well, you know what? Right. What we yeah. had was uh, a, a resolution to join the Convention of States, which uh, is is an effort across the country. States would join on two matters. One is a balanced budget. The other is term limits. Mm-hmm. And that, that wasn't for state, I don't believe. It was for federal offices, mainly Congress, uh, House, and Senate. And you're right. In the okay. state of Mississippi, we did join the convention on a balanced budget amendment. We did not on federal term limits. I actually wrote a fairly extensive article to that effect. Okay. And, and um, oh, shoot, Alan West. Uh, you know, the, yeah. uh, the colonel, Alan West, yeah. came to Mississippi the day that the legislature was voting on that. And um, I took I had my photo made with him down at the Capitol because he had read my article and supported it. Yeah. And uh, But unfortunately, it, it failed. Yeah, so. that's interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, Initiative 30 from 2010. That is right. Thank you, Rhino. Reminds us. Uh, Would have put term limits uh on the ballot in Mississippi. So that means but that means then it is in the constitution, right? Because at that point we could only amend the constitution. So uh under this scenario if we get a ballot measure b- uh, back the only chance we have of implementing term limits in Mississippi would be for the legislature to refer a measure to the ballot and that would require um, a 60% vote, I believe, of both chambers, I think. Maybe, 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 maybe two-thirds. Maybe two-thirds. Three-fifths on – that's right. Yeah. It's 60% on revenue matters. It's two-thirds on non-revenue matters. This will be a non-revenue matter. would then have to go to the ballot because we cannot amend the Constitution without the people ratifying it at the ballot. That's right. So that's the only way we get term limits. It's not likely that the legislature would vote themselves out of a term. Based on history, history. I, I, yeah. I'd say that's that's true. And to your point on amending the Constitution, as we go forward with this effort to to bring back, you know, fix the the problem and restore the ballot initiative process, the legislature would have to pass that by two thirds, and then the voters would vote on it right. and undoubtedly approve that. I guess in the next presidential election in two thousand twenty four, it'd be on the ballot. That's so, right. It would be the next time yeah. we would have a uh, statewide election. Yeah. which is what how we do that. So that'd be a big turnout election, the presidential. So that it would pass overwhelmingly, you know. So, I think so. And yeah. and thanks for bringing that up because uh, th- there is a lot of confusion on the on that process uh, out there because this is in our constitution that would have to be referred by the legislature would require two thirds, does not have to be signed by the right. governor. It's a resolution, and uh, because of that, it just gets referred to the ballot. Sent over to the Secretary of State, they stick it on the ballot. We go to the polls and vote for it, and if we uh, approve it with simple majority, mm-hmm. uh, then right, we'd have a ballot measure process. That's right, and, and Mississippians would have their constitutional right back, and then they could decide whether to, you know, have an initiative on any issue they wanted to. And and as I've said, there's been a lot of them over the years, and it's pretty hard to get them on the ballot, and even harder to get them approved. But that's what it, it it's wonderful. It gets people engaged, and they're democracy and constitution, you know, and so it's it's a good thing we need to bring it back. And you make a good point that besides these sort of three uh, more current issues that I point out that I, I think would make at least make their way to the ballot, um, 
you don't know what could happen in the future, and you want to have this thing in your back pocket just as a protection mechanism, potentially, to to do something that uh, the people don't approve of. They may want to reverse something the legislature did, or they may want to implement something they just won't act on. That's the whole purpose of this deal. That's right. I mean, the eminent domain uh, yeah. uh, provision, that was, I think, a U.S. Supreme Court case that was to the left. And Mississippians didn't like it, and we had a process, and Farm Bureau led it, to uh, preserve uh, folks' property rights. And, and it happened, and didn't have a crystal ball for that. I think that'll happen, but that's, that's the point. magic of democracy, and, and people are innovative and would you know, it's, take, use it. Spence, I, I know you know a lot about this. We only got about a minute left, but this is kind of a counter to the strong lobby community in our state, to some extent, because they have the ear, as you know, and influence more in the legislature than the average person out there does. That's right. It's, this is an outsider game. This isn't an insider's there you uh, go. game. And so it gives power to the people, which we're all for. Spence so, Flatgard, yeah. chairman of the newly formed Ballot Access Mississippi, trying to reinstate Mississippi's ballot initiative process. Appreciate it, Spence. Thanks yeah, thank you on. for having me. You bet. We're coming right back. Half an hour left in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Some of y'all never been down south too much. I'm going to tell you a little story so you'll understand what I'm talking about. Down there we have a plant that grows out in the woods and the fields. And it looks something like a turnip green. And everybody calls it folk salad. Well, the Dow has retreated considerably since we started the show. It's now still in the green, but only up 41 points. The NASDAQ, I think, has turned negative. It has retreated out of the positive territory. No, it's still up a tiny bit. Three points. Oh, man. Just volatile. Very volatile. That's about all they had to eat. All right, we're going to listen to Elvis the rest of the day. <laughs> Pope Salad Annie. There we go. <laughs> On the ceasefire text line, talking about school choice. Look at JPS Hines County. Constantly dumping good money after bad with extremely poor results if those state dollars get used proficiently.
working? I hear you now. It uh, the old on the air sign was vacillating back and forth. We back? That was weird. Bit of a technical the, the board interruption. Rebooted. That is weird. I've, I've seen in that. all the years, over a decade of doing this, I've never seen it do that. Jeez. You know what we used to say in the IT business? It's dirty electrons in there. you got to clean them electrons up. Maybe throw some protons in there. <laughs> well, we're back. Appreciate that, uh, Rhino. <laughs> I saw you in there pressing buttons and moving around, getting us back with the people here. On the ceasefire text line, repeat, to look at JPS Hines County constantly dumping good money after bad with extremely poor results. If those state dollars get used proficiently and with real education results, I don't mind if private charter schools get public dollars. Well, I, I could, um, I guess, be a little contrary with the argument that the way to improve the quality of the public schools is to introduce some competition which is what charter schools do, is uh, create competition in the education environment. Because right now, to some extent, uh, they have a monopoly. Look, folks that are economically better off, they have choice. Folks that aren't, they don't. They are locked in to the school that serves the district in in which they live. And that's the difference. So... It's not so much a matter of money, and if you look at the results, and we should also point out that we have made substantial improvements in education uh, in Mississippi the last three or four years, reading levels, math proficiency, graduation rates, etc. There's no doubt about that. That's documented, and it's been studied uh, by other states. Uh, But there is something to be said for... The family unit, the family environment that a child lives in, the economic status of the household, statistically, all of that shows that where there is stability, there is a thriving child at school. It's not across the board 100% just, just total absolute, but it's clearly statistically shows that those that have a healthy home environment do better at school. They just do. So what do we do to improve the quality of life at home? That's where I say economic growth. Create opportunity and help folks uh, get better jobs with higher paying higher incomes, and that all stems from economic growth, economic investment. That comes from a qualified workforce and access to all the other assets that organizations need to succeed in business and good policy to boot. Let's see, one thing I hope Lieutenant Governor sees, he needs to worry about right as much, what, about the right as much as he is worried about the left. Well, that's John and Pontotoc. I'm not really sure what you mean by that, John. I I said that I don't think the election indicates a, necessarily a mandate. I do think that, as I said yesterday, and I'm happy to say and repeat, is that the, the lieutenant governor needs to heed that and needs to needs to understand the, uh, the concerns that 
43-plus percent of the voters who voted for Senator McDaniel have. And, and consider that and their concerns uh, in the agenda. I totally agree with that. I don't know about worried about the left and all that stuff. I think that's a bit of a stretch. So are stocks, bonds, or ETFs best for a 60-year-old? And uh, I'm sorry, that came in while Jeremy was on, just now getting to that. But all the above, uh, it's just there's that's really a difficult question because it just depends on your your uh, willingness to take on risk, your your personal income and asset situation. There's just a lot of factors. That's why I recommend you seek counsel uh, from a professional. Everybody's got different goals and uh, different desires as they approach retirement or even during retirement. And it's complicated, and you need some guidance. That's what Jeremy and Element Wealth do. That's why I recommend that. I'd love for that 10K to be able to follow my kid talking about school choice. That's Jim in the Delta. And that's what school choice would do. Now, not the total amount of 10K, so just to back up a little bit, Jim said that the city of city school budget for Clarksdale is $67 million. I did actually look that up. The official Department of uh, State Department of Audit's financial report on the district comes in at about twenty-six million, not not quite sixty-seven, and that works out to a little more than ten k a kid. But just keep in mind, well, that's including all expenses. Keep in mind that that's combined state funding and district funding, right? So the state picks up. And there's formulas for that. That's the old MAEP formula, Mississippi Adequate Education Program formula. State comes in at about 7, 70% roughly of that, 75 or so. This depends on there's some uh, math involved in that on what the responsibility is of the district relative to the state. But nonetheless, I hear you. So, So something else to clarify is that if you had – universal school choice where, in fact, your money did follow the student and you wanted to enroll your child in a private school. Well, first, the private school doesn't have to accept you. And they've got capacity limits as well. Second, if that $7,000, just for rounding sake, follows the kid, you would get in the form of a voucher from the state, your portion from the state, appropriated from the state, and the tuition is twenty seven thousand dollars. You got to come up with the other twenty. You just get the amount that is allocated for the student with the family to help defray the cost of tuition at a private school. It doesn't just say, "I want to go to private school and pays your tuition." You just get essentially a voucher. That's why you hear the word voucher, the term voucher. It's just that amount that's appropriated per child, and that district would follow them to their setting of choice could be a charter school, which would go directly to the charter school, could be homeschool. And then the idea of crossing over into districts. Again, I've never heard any proposal that would say, yeah, we would just open up our our schools in our district, public school district I'm talking about, to anybody that wants to come under universal school choice. You'd have to have some reasonable rules around that. 
so that, like I said, the, the receiving district would not be harmed in any way and there would not be overrunning of available capacity. That's not going to work for anybody. That doesn't improve the quality of education. So there's, it's a concept more than anything. You know, the devil's in the details of the implementation. And it's got to be uh, provided in such a way, like I said, that it does not harm the receiving district. Nobody wants that. Nobody's proposing that. But there's some kids that are trapped, and if we can help them get out of that trap and improve their situation, we will all benefit. We're coming back with a final segment on Middays. Please stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. We are back in the Element Well studio. So much to talk about, so little time. So what is Governor Tate Reeves' stance on education? Have friends voting for Presley because of something he supposedly did against public schools? He's never done anything against public schools. That's crazy. And this is, again, Rhino, back to the point that the, these uh, these rumors, these this innuendo, these these ne- talking point narratives just take a life of their own, even though they're just categorically false. And I don't know anybody that supports the concept, and it is a concept of school choice, that is anti-public schools. But there is a widespread belief of that, especially from the so-called public school establishment. I mean, if you support the idea of public money following the child to the appropriate education setting, they immediately conclude that you're anti-public schools, which is just horse hockey. No, we want the public schools to succeed, to excel, to thrive. Unfortunately, when they don't, we got to give the kids a chance and the parents a choice. You know, you could kind of draw a contrast here, a comparison, to the ballot measure process. I'm, I'm cool with our form of government that we elect officials to go make laws for us, but sometimes they just get in there and won't do what we want. And that's why we got to go to the ballot measure process, to redress our government. Like Spence said, we have a right to do that. Now, some people may argue that, no, we just have a Republican form of government. We elect officials, and they vote on our behalf, make laws on our behalf. But sometimes when they, when they just don't, they won't advance issues for us or won't get things done we want, we go to the ballot box. Similar deal here. Hey, we agree. We want the public schools to all be A-rated. Fantastic. Our state would, would be better for that. But where there's failure and kids are trapped, that's a disservice to the kids. And you know what's crazy is the Democrats always uh, uh, criticize the Republicans for, uh, for just leaving the child, not being concerned, not being compassionate for the children. 
No, you're not being compassionate for the children, because you've locked them in F districts for your personal bank gain and benefit. Just like the COVID. Didn't we learn enough during that? It's Randy Weingarten, the teachers' union president, who we now know is working directly with the Department of Education and uh, Department of Health and Human Services on all these stupid provisions that we're not going back to work. We're not. We're not. We're not going back to the classroom. We gotta add to have billions of dollars of air conditioning and all these other COVID crap for for kids who were never vulnerable. Keep them home. We're not going back to work. No, you're lazy. You just want money. That's all you want for not doing squat. So. Certainly not true, and I know I got got off on a tangent there, that the governor um, opposes or has any sort of of axe to grind with the public school environment. That's just not true. In fact, he's been boasting about the great gains our public schools have made, and he fully gives credit uh, to the public school uh, administrators and teachers and, to a great extent, families. So Thomas and Greenwood says, meh. Simply not true. Most of the kids, a lot of kids that go to private school come from divorced families. Look, all I said was a stable, healthy household. That can be achieved in a single-parent home. But statistically, statistically, kids that grow up broken homes struggle more in life. That's just a statistical fact. The other thing I would argue, Thomas, is they may be living in those divorced homes, but the fact that they're going to a private school suggests to me that they probably have a pretty good stream of income, probably economically well-off, meaning there's usually less strife in the home environment, because almost all of it stems from money. Nobody wants to talk about that. It's just the dang truth. When you're not constantly stressed out, worried where your next meal's going to come from, and you got kids going to school, I've heard this from teachers, and they're worried that when they send them home, they ain't going to get fed, because they've got Negligent parents, or parent, or guardian, which is the case many times. So I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people on our text line. I'm pleased to see that. Support school choice. Well, I'm just telling you guys, it is a tall task to get it through that legislature. So you need to talk to your senators and your reps about that. But, again, I want to point this out. I'm going to stay on this just we need to repeat things sometimes because everybody doesn't get to listen all the time. It's a concept. The details are a different story. I believe we could create a program at a detailed level that would work, that would help the public schools, would help the students, would help our communities, would help our state. That is possible. That ought to be the goal. We want everybody to thrive in every education setting, public, private, charter, home. That's the goal. That's what school choice is all about. We are out of here today. We'll be back with you tomorrow from Starkville. Tune in then. Stay safe, and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.